Paceline is produced by The Cycling Independent, with the support of subscribers like you and additional underwriting from Shimano North America. We are community-focused, community-supported, and dedicated to the whole of cycling. Always remember, at The Cycling Independent, if you ride bikes, you're one of us. From the Cycling Independent, this is The Pace Line, the podcast on two wheels. I'm Patrick Brady, and with me is my co-host, John Lewis. Each week, we take a look at how cycling fits in our lives. We're, we're both working on that fit in probably multiple definitions. Yes. Um, life is angular, uh, you know, and like um, not all the puzzle pieces quite go into it. Uh, the way you think they're gonna. Yeah. Yeah. I've been trying to buy a bigger bucket um, or just put more into the existing bucket. I have. Yes. Um, and uh, well, my feet are wet. Yes. Yes. What to do about it? I don't know. Keep going, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and maybe try to convince everyone I'm, I'm dancing as fast as I can. Yeah. Yeah. I think you've got the benefits of, of many doubts. <laughs> well, we, we'll, we'll get to more of that in, in a bit. Uh, I, I saw something in your notes that uh, really disturbs me. Um, there's two things in my notes to get to before I get to the things that I get to. Uh, and that uh, the, the one that I think makes you sad is that uh, Waterford Bicycles, which is also Gunner, uh, is closing uh, at the end of June. You are no longer able to order a bike from them. And for the people who are unfamiliar with Waterford, it is run by Richard Schwinn of that family. Uh, 30 years ago, they bought the Schwinn Paramount factory and uh, began producing bikes there, uh, which they have done uh, consistently and very well for three decades. Yeah. Yeah, that really is disturbing. Uh, their primary builder, Mark Mulder, I recall from my time at uh, at Bicycle Guide that someone with Reynolds. So uh, Reynolds produces lots of tubing, right? And they used to uh, it used to be their top of the line tubing was seven five three, and this stuff was hard to work with. It wasn't really great tubing, but it was marketed like it was. And to be able to build with it, um, uh, I think the apocalypse is outside. Uh, oh. To be able to build with it, you had to do a, a sample brazing uh, and send that to Reynolds before they would start selling you the tubing. And I recall, I recall a quote in Bicycle Guide. This is from some months or years before I joined the magazine that the person at Reynolds who judged those sample brazing efforts with 753 said that Mark Mulder's brazing sample was the finest example of silver soldering he had ever seen. Oh. So, you know, we're not just losing another brand. We're losing a brand with just incredible institutional knowledge and skill. That that seems factual. What I can tell you from their um, communications is that, um, and I think this is better than some stories, uh, is that many of the people on their staff are of retirement age. And that was it's, my suspicion. Yeah. Yeah. It's hard going in the bike business. And I think they reached retirement age and said, yeah, OK, thanks. Good. We did it. Um. You know, I'm sure the current uh, headwinds in the industry don't haven't helped. I can all I can tell you from my personal experience working with Richard, um, who we when I was at seven, we bought um, some steel forks from them and and we had some good back and forth. He's a heck of a nice guy. Yeah. Um, 
no, you know, for having for being a legend of the industry, he picked up his own phone, uh, did his own business, was pleasant, um, put on no airs. Uh, and I have a lot of respect. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And and I also, you know, I think uh, the it's easy to think, oh, well, the Waterford brand has a lot of value, so they'll probably sell it. I don't think that's happening. I hope it doesn't happen. I'm <laughs> really a, one of those people who hates to watch someone with very little clue but a big checkbook uh, basically uh, value strip a brand that's been built up over decades. So, uh-huh. I mean, I wouldn't begrudge them if they sold it because it it definitely has a lot of dollar value. Uh, mm-hmm. But I, I hope they don't. And breaking uh, there's Led no Zeppelin current indication was the right decision. What's that? Breaking Led Zeppelin up after John Bonham's death was the right decision. Yeah. 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 Sad, the but other, true. Sad, but true. The other thing in my notes is that uh, the Giro d'Italia, the men's Giro is on currently and is already uh, was interesting already in the first two days. Uh, if you haven't catch up with the highlights, that's good. And the Vuelta Femenina wrapped up the other day with two really interesting final days. And there's a whole conversation that I'll get to in another podcast about things that I've learned from watching women's racing lately Mm. um, that I think previously I thought, well, women's racing should mirror men's racing because that obviously that's what the women want. They want longer courses. They want more stages. They want all of this stuff, but actually I've changed my mind all that. That's a, that's a topic for another pull, but Mm. uh, Vuelta Femenino was a cool race um, went down to the final day, uh, and the two best cyclists in the world faced off at the end and one of them won, uh, and it was exciting and I enjoyed it. Awesome. Yeah. Okay. I, I didn't want to do any spoilers because really if you have, I don't know, 45 minutes, you can go on YouTube and, you know, go to Eurosport and just watch the day by day highlights. And it's, it's a good story. Hmm. Maybe the thing I'm going to try to do is watch some of it with my boys. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm, as I said, I'm going to get to that in a, in a later pull, but there's some stuff about the way women's courses and races are set up that I think is better than the men's setup. I, I have no idea what you're talking about in terms of specifics, but I look forward to hearing about it. Yeah. Yeah. All righty. Let's let's get to it. All right. Um, so this week I have a story about kids riding bike in the woods. Bike, All right. Bikes riding bikes in the woods. Sounds so good. behind the middle school in our town, there's a small patch of woods. Uh, it might be two acres. Mm-hmm. Maybe uh, in the morning, kids come streaming through those woods on their way to school. All the kids that live kind of uphill from the school just uh go through there. People walk their dogs in there. It's crisscrossed with trails and it has been for years. Mm -hmm. Uh, Eventually some kids brought some shovels and started to build jumps in there. Um, (laughs) This has been happening since bikes and kids both existed at the same time. Mm -hmm. Um, Then two things happened. First, some neighbors of this small lot went in and destroyed the kids work, uh, knocking down the jumps, blocking off trails, etc. Then one of the kids, I think he was 13 or 14 at the time. I don't know him personally. I know his parents, who are nice people. Uh, He decided to go to the town and engage the official process of getting permission to set up trails there. Uh, Wow. Yeah. Predictably, some neighbors came out to say that kids shouldn't be playing in those woods, that it was dangerous, uh, disruptive, and that the animal life there would be disturbed. Hmm. After a bunch of local government meetings, during which the kids spearheading this process did a ton of work to rally support, not to mention stepping through the governmental hoops, the project got shut down. (sighs) Not deterred, uh, the kid and his friends identified another small parcel of town property adjacent to the skating rink. It had some trails in it also, uh, but it also had a ton of litter. 
older kids were going there to drink and vape and do low-level vandalism. Uh, it was full of dog crap. This patch was isolated between a major road and the bike path that bisects our town, so fewer abutting neighbors. Mm -hmm. Although the first patch only had, I think, three houses that actually touched it. <laughs> um, in they went with their shovels to this new patch, and I rode it. It was fun. Mm -hmm. um, there were some cool jumps and step downs, and it, I enjoyed it. Um, then the process started over. Neighbors suddenly concerned. Uh, kids petitioning through the pot proper channels. Yard signs got printed. Oh, holy Proposal cow. Yeah, proposals got submitted. Hearings were held. Petitions. Misinformation. A lot of local folks suddenly concerned about the environmental impact there, despite never setting foot in it, despite having no clue that it was little more than a trash patch. By this time, the kid leading the way is 16 or 17. He's graduating next year. Uh -huh. If he's lucky and this second go round looks like it might go through, but if he's lucky, he might see officially sanctioned shovels hitting dirt there before he leaves for college. In parallel with this goat parade of grown-ups ruining everything, another kid sets up a pump track and jump line on his own property. Okay. This is one town over from us. The kid's family has some money and they have extra land. You know, you have to have money to have extra land. <laughs> so they encourage the kids to build what turns out to be a pretty amazing little facility. Uh, this family is generous and they suggest to their town that they actually donate that part of their property for all the kids to use in this way on bikes. The town not only turns down their offer, they also send a cease and desist letter because for most of the kids to reach the trails there, they have to cross a very narrow stretch of town property, like 10 or 20 feet. Uh-huh. And there is objection to the, quote, damage that has caused tamping down the grass. Oh, OK. Oh, um, mm. So what have we taught our kids? We don't want them just going in the woods and hacking out trails and building dangerous jumps. But what we've taught them is that they might as well do whatever they want. The official channels are useless. Doing things the right way takes literal years. And okay, the kids don't always help themselves. They do things kids do, like light small fires occasionally or leave ugly messes. Mm -hmm. But how do you tell a 13-year-old that he should devote hours and hours of, his, hours of his time because the next generation of 13-year-olds will enjoy a tiny patch of officially sanctioned trails? Yeah, you don't. Bru yeah. So when you wonder why kids spend so much time on their screens, when you wonder why they won't engage with adults, when you wonder why they have so little hope for their futures, you just have to ask yourself, well, what did we teach them? Oh, party on Wayne, party on yeah. Garth. I, I don't I don't mean to be so sour, but I have watched this process unfold and it's just sickening. Mm -hmm. It is just painful. The gears of local government grind horribly slowly and anyone with an axe to grind can show up and just put a spanner in the works for really no good reason. And then... And then there are requirements for environmental studies, like the requirements. I was talking with a good friend of mine who works at the uh, he doesn't work there now, but he, for many years he worked at the federal Department of Transportation. Mm -hmm. And he said, this is why infrastructure projects in the U.S. cost twice as much as they do in China and take twice as long. And you might think, oh, well, the Chinese just do it wrong. But actually, we're also double the price and time of Western Europe with less good results. Mm -hmm. He said the, the processes, these processes are all horribly broken. Um, and I've watched it. I've watched it live. Um, and to encourage kids to get involved and to do things the right way and then have them served up this bunch of garbage uh, gives me pain. Understandably. Uh, I, I hasten to add rightfully, um, 
yeah, it's crazy. Uh, no argument there. Um, we have a, a pump track, uh, over on the, uh, Western side of town, um, in this park next to a school. Um, and they began the process of, of trying to build it a few years before I moved here to Santa Rosa. Um, after I had taken interest and wanted to move, I saw this effort starting and, uh, within a year or so of me moving here, it actually got built. Um, and I was, I was like, wow, we live in this wonderful forward thinking town. Well, since then, uh, Santa Rosa has proven to be so hostile to cycling that, um, the Anadel uh, mountain bike race that Bike Monkey ran for some years and used to start in downtown and everybody would haul down Sonoma Avenue toward the park. Uh, the, the start in downtown Santa Rosa ceased and then other people, the state parks people became so hostile to the race that the race ceased to be, even though uh, they had... They didn't do an EIR. They did a CEQA. I don't know of any mountain bike race on the planet that has done a CEQA. That's one step down from an environmental impact report. Okay. Yeah. They went to extraordinary expense. Um, and they, they gave up because the park became so hostile. Uh, Levi's Grand Fondo used to start out on the edge of town. They wanted to start it downtown, um, but they couldn't get that done. So they figured after a few years of starting out on the Western side of town, maybe they'd be able to move. <laughs> no, after 10 years, they moved it to, or 11 years, something. They moved it to Windsor because Santa Rosa is so uh, inhospitable. Um, I, I don't, I don't know what to say. I am not encouraged by local government. no, no. And and I should say, like, all the mountain bikers I know, including the kids, are environmentalists. Mm -hmm. One of the objections thrown up to the second version of the trail system, and these are tiny places, by the way, mm -hmm. was that, well, they're going to clear cut that property to do it. No one ever said it would be clear cut. And in my, you know, I wrote a letter in support and I wrote... If the if the proposal includes clear cutting, I'm against that. There's no reason for it to be clear cut. Mm -hmm. There's a pump track and trails and trees are those things are compatible. Um, and then it just turned into this, you know, the, the anti side was just like, no, it's going to be clear cut. Owls are going to lose uh, habitat. Nobody wants ha owls to lose habitat. Mm -hmm. But, um, you know, we're all with that. But. These things get used as cudgels to try to um, uh, just stop, just stop people from enjoying themselves. And the thing is, the other thing is that the the budget for the the proposal came in at four hundred thousand um, dollars, and and many of us, uh, many of us said, the kids have already made the thing. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we didn't have to go down this road. All you needed to do was not chase kids out of the woods and you would have had a perfectly good solution to this problem. But now we've all wasted hours and hours and you're proposing to spend four hundred thousand um, dollars, which brings a whole nother group of people out of the woodwork to say, no, we're not spending our tax dollars on that. And while I think facilities for youth sports are super important, I would argue we don't need 15 baseball fields. Um, you mm -hmm. know, one of the uh, arguments I made to the committee, uh, the town committee, was we do a great job of supporting kids through team sports, but kids who are interested in individual sports— and they are constitutionally that way, right? This isn't just mm -hmm. like, oh, they should just play baseball. That's not that's not really the answer. But we we need to give them a place to go. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. If you want them roaming the streets, you know, trying the handles of parked cars, that's fine. You can choose that. But it, wouldn't it be easier just to give them a little spot to ride their bikes? Mm hmm. Mm hmm. 
Yeah. I, I, I will, I, lest we end this on uh, the note of consternation on which we began, um, I will observe. Uh, so I've visited Bentonville, Arkansas a couple times. And of course, this has become the poster child for the entire U.S. of like how to do it right. With good reason, with good reason. Mm -hmm. um, there is a middle school in town and there is a parcel of land in front of the middle school uh, for families to drop their kids off at school. They go in this driveway that passes by this parcel of land. They go through the driveway and then at the other end of the parcel, they come out back to the street. So it, this parcel, maybe two acres, maybe less, um, is encased by two driveways, a school and a street. Okay. There's a pump track on it. It's, it's point to point. Um, it's not an actual loop, but you know, there's some elevation loss. And so it just made more sense to like build a bunch of berm turns and then you can go to the sidewalk and ride back up the sidewalk and start over again. Yeah. When I first heard about that and then I rode over and found out about it or rode over and actually rode on it, my head almost caved in, <laughs> you know, it's just, it is possible for us to be different. It is. Okay. Uh, <laughs> yay. Uh, we're going to take a break and be back in a second. The Paceline is underwritten by Shimano North America. That means they help us pay for software and hosting and the M&Ms in our dressing rooms. Shimano are also nice enough to let us talk about them in our own voices and from our own experiences. For example... I did a lot of research on Shimano road wheels when I was putting together complete bike packages when I was at 7 Cycles. We turned to Shimano wheels because they're rock solid, affordable, and readily available. The wheel market is full of fantastic options. Shimano's wheels often fly under the radar. You should really check them out. They have killer carbon fiber wheels at the 105 level now, the C32 and C46, and of course, if you're shooting for the stars, you can get the C36 and C50 at Altegra and Dura Ace levels. See them all at road.shimano.com. Okay, we're back with the Pace Line, the podcast on two wheels. What do you got for us this week? Uh, well, mine's a little more upbeat. Um, so, so there's that. <laughs> I had to yell because I was on a high horse, but go on. You, you can just talk in a normal voice. <laughs> so last weekend I drove up to Cobb Mountain, which is in Lake County and into Boggs Demonstration Forest. Um, turns out it's only about an hour and 15 minutes away. Um, but the drive is best executed solo because of two twisty mountain roads. Um, it's not a place you want a passenger in your car. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Did you have a passenger? No, no. But I was <laughs> thinking about how uh, this this is the sort of thing where I might have to pull over for 15 minutes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's really that twisty. So the course there begins at roughly 3,200 feet of elevation and then climbs as high as 3,800 feet. Um, when I arrived, it was chilly hovering somewhere between fog and drizzle. Also, mm -hmm. I got my tent set up, changed, and then went for a, a sample loop, uh, of the course, uh, 7.7 .7 miles roughly, and about 1100 feet of climbing per lap. Now in 2015, um, Boggs demonstration force burned in the Valley fire the entire trail system was destroyed. And for anybody who doesn't really understand what fire does to trails, it turns that soil into ash. It's crazy. Um, there's just nothing left there. Um, you're, it's as hard to ride on what used to be the trail as it is to ride three feet left of it. Yeah. Uh, you know, just crazy. So, um, since then, it has, uh, thanks to uh, a local organization, um, been rebuilt, and much of the trail system is now machine-cut, flowy, bermed, mountain bike-specific trails. 
I guess it's sort of pointless for me to say the writing was so good. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So I got back to my tent and it started raining and it rained most of the night. Um, And I'm not sure that there is another sound on the planet that is at once as soothing and as anxiety producing as hearing rain going pitter patter on the rain fly of a tent. Yeah, I feel that. Um, It was. Yeah. Yeah. uh, Wonderful and awful. Yes. (laughs) In the morning, uh, it was still raining off and on. And at the start of the race, which was delayed by an hour to try and let some of the water run off the course, uh, it was 42 degrees. Um, It's been a long time since I've been to an event with as long a list of did not starts, I should say. Uh, Carlos, the head honcho of Bike Monkey, uh, as I said, delayed the start. And, you know, even that didn't produce more people who were running late or whatever. As you can guess, the first lap was brutal. The rain stopped before I started my second lap, but it was still in the 40s. Um, and the intervals between my laps grew. Uh, after my first lap, there were I stopped at my car for just a few minutes, um, mostly because it was so cold. Uh, my pit stop after my second lap was maybe 20 minutes. It was longer uh, because I needed to eat and drink more. After my third lap, I had lunch, I changed into dry clothes, and I took a short nap. Oh, that's a pro move. (laughs) Then, oh, wait for it. This is this is the real pro move. This is what made me feel really cool. I brought enough clothing that I changed into fresh kit and then went out for my fourth lap. Yeah. And people were like, what the hell? Why is your why is your clothing so clean? Um, I'm like, cause it's fresh and <laughs> you could just see the, the, the looks of consternation of like, oh man, I, I hate you. <laughs> <laughs> I went in, uh, was it 2021? I ran, uh, a 30 mile trail race mm-hmm. and I put a drop bag by the, it was three laps, three 10 mile laps. And I put a drop bag there and I changed my shoes for the last lap. And people were like, oh, look what that guy did. I was like, that's right. Fresh shoes. <laughs> oh, yeah, I can imagine. Yeah. Yeah. I, Same as a matter of fact, I even put on fresh shoes as well. Oh, yes. Yeah. Brand yeah. new man. Yeah, it was it was pretty awesome. Now, one thing I do need to note is that there was a section of the course on the second lap that was peanut butter. I haven't seen, and you know, it's one of those things that like, as I was writing through it, I was actively thinking about how am I going to describe this on the podcast and and in print. Um, And it occurred to me that I haven't seen mud like that since doing uh, the Norba National at Mount Snow the last time I did it, which was 94 or 95. That was the last time I saw it. Vermont uh, has its own special brand of peanut butter mud, but go on. Yeah. Yeah. I I mean, this was so bad. It was, it was four or five inches deep, uh, maybe deeper in spots. I was feeling guilty about tearing up the course. Like I was having a a crisis of conscience about like, Oh, I'm, I'm not sure I can be a party to this. Here's the crazy part. After that conditions improved. Hmm. Things were pretty darn good on lap three and on lap four, the whole course was nothing but hero dirt. Hmm. This is the only time in my life, my considerably long life at this point (laughs) that a race course has improved over the course of the day. I cannot possibly overstate how much it changed. I told friends who weren't there that it was a different course each lap. Mm. So, uh, all this is to say I got four laps and I'm pleased with four laps. Um, that's not why I consider the day a success though. I showed up with decidedly poor condition. We've talked about that. People have heard about that, but it wasn't really as bad as I thought. Better yet, I did four laps on a day when maybe a third of the field didn't even show up And of those who did show up, many 
after one or two laps, called it a day. Like, no, I can't. I'm I'm done. I've done all I can. No, no, ma no mas. Yeah. And to be fair to some of those folks, if they were in like a two or three person team, figuring out what to do with yourself after you've gotten warm and out of, you know, out of that cold, wet kit and all that, uh, they were certainly, we'll call them technical hurdles um, yeah. for relays on a day like that. Um, but I'm excited to share about this because I count the day as a win in so many different ways, ways that any of our listeners can experience. So first win, I brought great clothing. Uh, and here I have to admit, actually, when it began to sprinkle on Calistoga Road as I was leaving Santa Rosa, I turned around, went home, grabbed more clothing. That is also a pro move. I have thought to turn around so many times and I'm too, I don't know. I just keep going, but it is sometimes the, it is the winning move. Go on. Yeah. Yeah. Second, I brought lots of good food. I'd made three different recipes from the Feed Zone Portables cookbook. And like I had a salad along with me and just all sorts of oh great stuff. Gosh. Uh, and, and for after the race, I brought some really kingly beers <laughs> uh there, there was a bottle of uh Pliny the younger in there uh, oh nice yeah yeah uh third in addition to bringing a good parka and other warm clothes for in camp i brought some of my most bomber on the bike clothing um i'm kind of repeating myself here but <laughs> forgive me uh fourth when the gun was fired I didn't take off. I rolled easy and I kept my heart rate around 140 on the opening climb. Uh, the whole day I raced my own race uh, and maybe I shouldn't even say I raced. Uh, I was, I was riding. I was riding within myself. I didn't often get my heart rate above 150. Um, on the backside of the course, there's, there was one climb where maybe a hundred feet or so was 18, 19%. And you had no real choice other than to like dig in for that. Um, fifth, I found myself in a place of remarkable acceptance. Uh, the conditions were uncomfortable at the start. There's no way around that. Um, but they didn't affect my attitude at all. I'd made my peace with the fact that it was just going to be kind of a crummy day. Uh, so when things started getting nice, uh, I went from being in a pretty good place to like, this is awesome. Right. Sixth, I never rushed myself when I made, when I'd make my pit stops, I took however long I took, yeah. uh, since it was cold, I wasn't going to take longer than necessary, but I never got into that anxious place of like, Oh, I gotta go. I gotta go. I gotta go. Right. It wasn't any, anything like that. Seventh on my last lap, I met a really terrific guy and we chatted through much of the lap. And then at the finish, I met a couple guys from Reading who chatted me up about how good the riding is there. And they're like, come up, hang out. We'll take you for a ride. Also, I met longtime reader Andrew Gentry Law, who I'm amazed to say, I mean, I've been seeing his name in RKP comments and places, Facebook. Uh, so I, I knew the name, but we'd never met in person. Turns out he's been reading my work since Bicycle Guide days. Hmm. He knows uh, you better than you. Uh, quite possibly. Uh, and he just, you know, it was one of those things where like, when anytime I saw his name attached to a comment, I knew, oh, here's a bright and reasonable person. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, you know, so I always kind of looked forward to what he had to say. And, you know, standing there talking with him, it was just the the loveliest time. Um, yeah, I was, you know, I was so glad that he actually called me out and said, you know, hi and introduced himself. He didn't. <laughs> the funny thing was he didn't say the gentry law part. He just said, hi, I'm Andrew. You know, I'm one of your readers. So it wasn't until afterwards where we shared some messages uh, on the FB as it is uh, that I found out, oh, you're that dude. Right. Um you know, actual name recognition. So let's boil this down. I showed up to an event where I should have been pack fodder at best, 
which I was. Um, the thing is, it was precisely the sort of day where my fitness combined with a bad attitude could have been a dreadful day. Instead, I had the best day I've had on the bike this year. What I kept thinking while you were um, talking about all the wins was there is, uh, th- these are the product of experience. Hmm. Everything that happens on race day is anxious making. Mm-hmm. The gun goes off. Everyone's very excited. They tear ass out of the start. And it is very, very easy to let yourself get swept up in that and go too hard. I did a race mm-hmm. recently and I said to the guys, I was like, yeah, we the first 10 miles, we're going to ride too hard. We are. And we did. Um, and then taking your time in all those places. The thing is, when you're not ra- what you learn over years and years is when you're not racing for the podium. It's a long game, not a short game. Mm-hmm. There's no ha- hammer in this moment that is going to get you there quicker. There is no hurry up break pit stop that's going to get you there quicker. You're, that's not what you're there for. Mm-hmm. You're there to have the longest, the longest, best effort you can have. And yeah. that's how you produce it. But that's all experience. Yeah, that's that's fair. You know, I mean, there was also the reality that like, OK, even shortened by one hour, um, you know, I have a maximum of, of eight hours to do this thing. And the only real question in my head was, would I ride lap four laps or five laps? That was that was like the unknown. Yeah. Um, uh I was in my second lap thinking, yeah, I'm doing all right. And I went out for my third lap. And that was kind of funny because it's like, oh, there's really only going to be one more lap after this one. Because <laughs> I could just feel it in the legs. The muscular endurance was yeah. what was my aerobic system. I could have done a fifth lap, no problem. But muscular endurance was what I was missing. This has been really my experience this year is that my heart and lungs are fine. Uh that that will all just go. But yeah, it's the legs. It's leg strength. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's just, I think, a case of too few base miles for me. Mm. Uh, I, I, I'm not sure what to attribute it to other than the fact that, like, I keep saying I should lift weights and I don't. Yeah, there's, so there's, some, there's something there. <laughs> but, you know, I when I think about how long it takes me to ride a lap and how many hours there were in the day. It's like, you don't have to be in a race. You don't have to rush yourself. There's no need for any stress. And you know, that, that tendency to uh, go out like a racehorse at the gun is what almost ruined my day at unbound back in 2019. I somehow I fell victim to the very thing that I knew not to fall victim to. Yeah, that's what I mean. I mean, you can know and still get swept up in it. Like the vibe of the group is so powerful. Yeah. Um, yeah. It really requires intentionality to do it right. Yeah. And, you know, that's the part is that even as I was sitting there and, you know, the gun goes off and I'm like, and this is it. This is this is where you screw up. I, I was just immune to it. Mm. I was absolutely immune to it. Anytime I heard a rider coming up behind me, I was looking for an opportunity to pull out out of the way, um, you know, and let them by. Later on in the day, coming to a complete stop and then restarting. That was painful. (laughs) (laughs) That was painful. Uh, Yeah. I mean, but there wasn't any answer other than to pull out of the way and stop and let them by. Right. um, Because there was just too much debris um, the landscape was kind of remarkable, um, you know, weather conditions aside with so many tree trunks burned and, you know, denuded of branches, uh, let alone, you know, any pine boughs or anything like that. Subsequent storms after the Valley fire broke off like half of the tree trunk of a great many trees. So you had these broken toothpicks sticking up into the sky, um, at, you know, maybe 30 or 40 feet instead of, you know, 90 or a hundred. 
uh, it was, that was unusual. I mean, there were places where you passed and um, you could see sections of, you know, still uh, burned out trees laying on the ground, um, you know, turned to charcoal. Uh, but what they've done in terms of building a course there, I mean, dude, it's only an hour and 15 minutes away. I'm going to go ride there some more. It's not like some places where like, if I wanted to go to Henry Co, you know, down in the South Bay, that's a two and a half hour drive. If I'm lucky, this is an hour and 15 minutes. Yeah. An hour and 15 is on the edge of like, yeah, I'm going. Yeah. Not every weekend, but yeah. you know, once every couple months for sure. And the, yeah. the quality of the riding is enough to kind of get me over that hump of like, yeah, let's go do something different. Yeah. Um, it's, it's a neat, neat place. Um, and, uh, uh, the folks who have worked on that trail system there uh, have done a really fine job of it. Very flowy, some wonderful bermed turns that, that one place that was total peanut butter, you know, on my last lap, there was like a three foot wide section at the top of the berm that was all hero dirt. Yeah. It was crazy. I, I've never seen anything like it in my life. It was a, a, it was a day that will help propel me through the rest of my summer. Well, that's what I'm hearing. I'm hearing you motivated, which is good. You know, I think before you were sort of, there was some self-flagellation going on and it's hard to pull, it's hard to make motivation, real mo motivation out of negative mm -hmm. energies. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But this feels like you've tipped over into positive energy. Now you can kind of see what you want from your season, which is different. And then you just have to go get it. Yeah. You know, back in January, I did a, 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 a somewhat half-assed dryuary. I permitted myself some, some exceptions in going out with friends and whatnot. Uh, I had a couple of beers after the race was over and I'm not having another beer or glass of wine until after Wente. All right. Yeah. Yeah. Don't um, call it a comeback kids. Oh, no, 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 no. Um, but I, I'm, I'm, I'm in a space of being good to myself this way. Good. Yeah. I'm I lucky. And, and, you know, this is a, a thing that feels really nice to share with the audience. Good. I, like I think it. this is kind of why we do this. Maybe so. Maybe this is the part we get back. I hope. Yeah. Alrighty. Paceline picks. Paceline picks. Uh, in a continuing effort to get more of you fuddy-duddy mountain bikers off clipless pedals and onto flats, I'm picking the Race Face Chester flat pedal. It's nylon. It has a large platform and eight traction pins. So not only is it affordable, in fact, they're currently on sale for $39.99 a pair, down from $59.99. Mm. It's also a great starter pedal that gives you great traction and a wide variety of possible foot positions. Mm. Um, it's got sealed chromoly axles and the uh, bearings are serviceable so you can clean and re-grease re and ride these pedals for multiple seasons. Also, they come in nine different colors. Purple, sure. Green, yup. Magenta, oh yeah. <laughs> I, I've been riding them for two years now. Um, mine are gray. Of course they are. Because um, <laughs> they didn't offer black? Yeah, exactly. They didn't have black in stock that day. Uh, and in the back of my mind, I've considered upgrading to a metal pedal. Uh, because why? Because that's a, what more serious people do. I don't know. Every time I look at what's out there, I hesitate because the Chester does the job so very well. Hmm. To be able to get a pair for 40 bucks just lowers the barrier to entry for those of you who have been thinking about making the switch to flats. 40 bucks. The race mm. face Chester. Why not give it a try? <sighs> wow. How is that for a pitch? I, I, yeah, I'm feeling the peer pressure, man. I, I'm like a hype man over here. Yeah, yeah. So my philosophy, I'm, I'm going to go a little meta here. My philosophy on our picks is that these items should be easily accessible, preferably through listeners, local bike shops. Yeah. Um, but, you know, sometimes directly from the company. I am making a distinct exception today, though. So on Saturday... I wore a whole bunch of Shimano S fire pieces 
As a matter of fact, uh, it, it is a true statement to say that everything that I wore on my first three laps, with the exception of my base layer and, and heart rate monitor chest strap, were things that I got when I drove back home. Oh, uh, wow. So in addition to their shoes, uh, I also wore their eyewear, uh, gloves, and wind jersey. Um, if they'd made thermal bibs, I would have had those on. Um, so, but it's this last piece that I want to mention, the wind jersey. Um, it's much like a Castelli Gabba or Perfetto. So a windproof and waterproof uh, uh, snug fitting jersey. Except this one has more insulation. There's a layer of fleece lining the jersey that makes it notably warmer than other similar pieces. So on Saturday, I wore it with a short sleeve merino wool base layer and was comfortable in weather that was objectively yucky. 42 in rain. The pockets are deep enough to hold plenty of food or completely hide a smartphone. It has a high collar. Sleeves that actually extend all the way to my wrists, uh, practically to my hands, um, and a full zipper. Uh, like I said, it's form-fitting, and depending on which panel we're discussing, it has either three-way or four-way stretch. Um, and it features what Shimano refers to as a metallic thermal tech, which is said to help radiate heat back to the rider. And honestly, that may be the thing that makes this jersey so special. It comes in black or dark blue. I have the black, which is great for days like Saturday, where had it had a nice color, it might have been irrevocably stained. <laughs> uh, it went through the wash three times along with the thermal bibs that I wore. Yeah. Three times to get all the dirt out. Yeah. Um <laughs> uh it does come in a whopping five sizes uh, all right so here's the thing shimano appears to have discontinued it as they do with so much of their apparel the stuff doesn't sell because people are care you know shops are carrying enough other shimano stuff they think oh we don't need their clothes i don't know that's just a guess um but they end up you know they make a piece and then a, a season or two later they cut it Cambria bike has both colors and all of the sizes in stock and it's discounted by 50% at $64.99. Look, I get it. This is no time to be buying winter gear, but for anyone who rides in nasty conditions, I cannot recommend this piece highly enough. I mean, when I got back home and I looked in my closet, I'm like, I should bring something even warmer than what I have. I looked around at my options and I knew I didn't want to destroy my RKP uh, thermal jacket uh, in that weather. And it, it would have been irrevocably stained. But I saw the, the black jersey there and I was like, ah, that's the ticket. <laughs> that thing's warm. It's waterproof. You know, it is all the things that I need. Um, and, you know, somebody out there is shaking their head at us. Oh, he's just saying that because Shimano is a sponsor. You know, sponsor or not, I love Shimano's apparel. The, the thing about Shimano that's sort of infuriating is anything they choose to do, they end up doing really well. I think that's true. Um, you know, one of the two, the, the, the things that we've been, as part of our sponsorship, the thing, the two items that we've been talking about from them are their shoes and their road wheels. Mm -hmm. And... I think they have a struggle in that people are like, oh, dr Shimano drivetrains. They make mm -hmm. great com they make great cockpit components. Um, mm -hmm. You know, they pro, make yep. good the pro the pro uh, series, yep. uh, which I have on my gravel bike. Um, but there's this sort of thing where people have decided, oh, the this is the box you belong in and you're mm -hmm. the very best in that box. But we're not going to. We're not going to look at your jerseys mm -hmm. and, I, and I get it. There's some something psychological about that. Like, I don't want to, you know, I don't have a Shimano chain and a Shimano jersey, but <laughs> yeah. they are road wheels just to pick one example from the things that we've been promoting of theirs. And I, you know, I'll tell listeners, 
100% candidly, if I thought their road wheels were bad and they said, we'd like you to talk about their road wheels, I'd say, uh, pass. What else have you got? Yeah. Because yeah, I yeah. just, uh, the sponsorship isn't that lucrative and and <laughs> I don't, I just don't care. Uh, I can't talk about something if I don't believe it. So, but their road wheels are s- such a tremendous value. Mm-hmm. You know, they are like really affordable. I, the, the, the 105 level stuff now, mm-hmm. it used to be 105 was kind of like, oh, that if you don't, if you're really on a really tight budget, you'd get 105. I would start with 105 now. It's 12 speed DI2, uh, wire, wireless, hydraulic. Yeah. It's what? It's an yeah. amazing thing. And then they have these carbon 105 level road wheels that are like a, a just over a grand. <laughs> and they're good. Yeah. Yeah. I don't. Uh, so it doesn't surprise me that they make good apparel. Um, it is annoying that they're good at everything. Uh, yeah, I. <clears throat> It it just amazes me. Uh, the sad thing is that, you know, this piece got cut because it didn't get more traction. And, you know, dollar for dollar, putting it up against a Castelli Gabba, this was, I mean, at full price, this was under $130. Yeah. You know, the Castelli stuff is significantly more expensive. And while I love it and it's great, the dollar goes so much further with this piece. And now at $64.99, it's like, oh my gosh, Drop the change. Drop the change. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, th- this is exactly it. Like you, you can have your quibbles about which thing is better. Is mm-hmm. thing A better or thing B better? What I can tell you with the Shimano stuff is that the forget about the uh, in an absolute sense, the value for dollar is better. Mm-hmm. It just is. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Uh yeah, well, whoever was shaking their heads at us before is probably shaking their heads even harder now. But That's hopefully, fine. hopefully, p- people really do believe us. Um, my integrity does matter. Ah, <laughs> uh, at least to me. Um, <laughs> that's a wrap on another episode of the Pace Line. Um, what are some of the interesting stories we got coming up on TCI? Oh, I- my S Fire shoe review, which I will finally get finished. <laughs> <laughs> That was, a, uh, that was a an item of some consternation. I, I keep using that word today. Patrick uh, and I today. have not at all had a lover's quarrel about his S-Fire shoe review today. Don't worry, everyone. <laughs> Maybe I'll just move on from here. This is where we ask you to subscribe if you haven't already. Please go ahead. Click that button now. And... As always, send us questions. We love them. If you've got an idea, please drop by the Cycling Independent and put a suggestion in the comments. If you haven't already, check out our other podcasts, Revolting, which lives up to its name in some ways, but is highly entertaining. I can at least confirm there is lots of laughter. I can Um, also tell you that uh, I believe the next episode of Revolting coming out is a family-friendly one with no swearing uh, no off-color topics, uh, and we didn't even do a content warning because it's just, uh, it's one for the family to crowd around the radio in their living room and listen to together. Wow. Okay. All right. Uh, maybe consider leaving a review wherever it is you found us. It makes it more likely other people will listen in. Constructive criticism also accepted. Until next week, I'm Patrick Brady with John Lewis. Thanks for listening to The Pace Line. <laughs>